Continuing today in our study in Luke's Gospel, hear from God's Holy Word. From Luke chapter 11. Pay close attention. This is God's Word. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's give thanks together. Father, we praise you for your word, and we pray that we would humble ourselves before it today. We do not come to your word as critics. We do not come uh, to uh, explain why we shouldn't believe what you have said. We come to receive what you have said and to, and to conform our lives to your law, to conform our lives to what you have communicated. And so, Father, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit so that we may do this. Uh, convict us where we need convicting. Strengthen us where we need to be encouraged. And we pray all this in the name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. People of God, why is it that we refuse to ask for help even when we really, really, really need help? Why when we're in really bad circumstances, do we still give people the stiff arm when they offer us help? We say, no, 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 I've got it, I've got it. You know, I know both my legs are broken and I'm trying to carry, you know, 12 tons of groceries and I'm trying to get from the car to the house and it's, you know, 150 degrees outside. I've got it, I've got it. You know, and of course that's ridiculous, but, but, but we, we push people off and we, we insist that we've got it under control. There are some of us that would rather die than to accept help from someone else. And that's not a stretch. That's not an exaggeration. Honestly, we would rather die than have someone help us. Why is that? What, what are we afraid of? I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of the reasons we would give come down to pride. We don't ask for help because we don't want to appear to be weak. We don't want anybody to perceive us as failing or for people to think that we can't handle our own business. We don't want to invite help into our lives because the people we invite into our lives might accidentally see some other area of our life that is messy, one other area that we might actually need help in. But we don't want anybody to notice how bad the situation really is. Just, if you're gonna help me, just help me on this surface thing, but don't dig any deeper because that's gonna get ugly and you're gonna see how bad things really are. At times we think that if we ask for help, the thing that we want done might not get done exactly the way that we would do it. And so we'll either be frustrated with the outcome or we'll just have to redo it ourselves. Or we, we think, you know what, I know people who really can't handle any part of their lives. I know people who are always asking for help and I don't wanna be like them. I don't wanna be like people who uh, you know, don't have their lives together. I don't wanna be perceived to be the same way. 
we want to show everyone how it's done and how it's done is independence. How it's done is absolute reliance upon ourselves. Honestly though, if you reduce any one of those reasons down to its most basic premise at the bottom, it's all pride. At the bottom, it's all a self-sufficiency that denies our real need for other people. God created us with dependence built in. He created us as contingent creatures. Not a single one of us can do everything that we need for life on our own. We need other people. We need help. Children, on the other hand, ordinarily have no problem asking for help. Can you tie my shoe? Can you help me open this? Uh, we uh, recently watched videos of my daughter when she was about two or three years old, and, and it got to the point, you know, Little girls have their daddies wrapped around their fingers, right? I mean, uh, and they'll do anything. My daughter, she, she'd get in, even the smallest little thing, a little package of crackers or something. She'd just pick it up and she'd go, uh, uh, you know, like a little grunt, like, uh, I can't do it. And she wouldn't even try, but she would just hand it to me. She's like, uh, uh, and, uh, and of course I would open it for her. I thought that was incredibly sweet. And uh, I'd still do it today if she brought me something and went, uh, uh, and uh, I would open it for her. But children don't have any trouble asking for help. Can you help me up on this chair? Can you make me some macaroni? Can you, can you feed me? Can you get me some juice? Because children readily recognize their helplessness. They know their vulnerabilities. There's no hiding it. And they're very open and honest with what they can't do by themselves. Now, of course, we train them to get out of the uh, uh, phase. We, we train them to get past that, to be uh, 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 mature and to be able to help other people also. But children aren't born with this pretentious hang up against asking people for help. We learn that. That's not something we're born with because children know if they don't get help, they're not going to survive. If they don't get help, they're not going to live. They can't feed themselves. They can't clothe themselves. They can't shelter themselves. They will die without our help. So which of these two is the model for the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to have? Which of these two are, are what Jesus wants? The, the self-sufficient, prideful adult or the openly, admittedly helpless child? Which one better models the kind of faith Jesus expects from his disciples? Does Jesus instruct us to incline toward pridefulness and self-sufficiency and arrogance and independence? Or did Jesus set down a child among his disciples and say, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I think it's obvious. The kind of faith that Jesus is looking for among his people is the kind of faith that freely and openly expresses our lack, our helplessness, our insufficiency, our, our utter and total dependence upon him and his people. So this section in Luke's gospel is all about prayer, and we're going to deal with this chapter 11 over the next several Sundays, but this part that we're going to look at today is about how we pray, what we pray, what we ask for, and the kind of prayer that Jesus commends to us is the kind of prayer that openly and boldly asks our Heavenly Father for what we need. We don't reservedly hold back and refuse to ask for help in pride. 
The kind of prayer that Jesus commends to us is a prayer that keeps on asking without believing that we're somehow putting God out or we're, we're somehow aggravating God by asking for the same thing over and over. And the kind of prayer that Jesus uh, directs us to have is, is a prayer that expects to be answered in a gracious and merciful way. The, the kind of prayer that Jesus shows us here is, is the prayer of a child to his father asking for help. And that's what Jesus uh, demonstrates for us. We open in chapter 11, Jesus is praying in a certain place. We don't know where, but remember he and the disciples are on a journey. They're on a journey from the Galilean area down to Jerusalem, where Jesus is going to do battle with uh, uh, the scribes and Pharisees, even with the temple itself. And, and it's all going to culminate in the crucifixion and resurrection. But on this journey, he draws aside and he takes time to pray. He's probably praying out loud because they, they know what he's doing. And certainly uh, this is strange to us, but people didn't read quietly in the ancient world. They read out loud and people didn't pray, you know, kind of meditate. They prayed out loud. And so Jesus is praying out loud. His disciples recognize what he's doing. And so one of his disciples asks him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. Now, evidently, John the Baptist had taught his disciples to pray a certain way. And we can assume, knowing John the Baptist and what he was all about, what John taught his people, his disciples, to pray about and for was something very different from what they might have grown up praying praying for different things than they were used to praying for. And here the disciples of Jesus want to confirm. What should we be praying for? Because if you can tell me what I ought to be praying for, then I have a better idea of what our mission is. I, I have a better idea of what we're all about. What are we expecting from God? So Jesus teaches us how to pray. So the response from Jesus comes in the form of a prayer that we all know. It's the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, someone suggested that we should call this the Disciples' Prayer because this isn't just something that Jesus prayed, but this is representative of how he wants us to pray. And certainly if it's a model prayer, there's nothing wrong with praying the prayer itself. Occasionally you'll hear somebody want to reject all formal prayer and say, well, Jesus never actually intended for anyone to pray this prayer. This is just like a template. This is just like a, a form and you just kind of follow the format, but don't actually pray this prayer. Don't actually pray these words. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me because Jesus gave this prayer not once, at least twice. In Matthew's gospel, you remember, where does this prayer come? It comes in the Sermon on the Mount, right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. In Luke, it comes as they're on their journey down to Jerusalem. It makes sense to me that Jesus probably gave this instruction more than one time to more than one group of people. That Jesus repeatedly gave this prayer to his people as a model for how they ought to pray, and even to use this, this prayer. No telling how many times he taught it. So this wasn't just an example that Jesus gave off the top of his head, and, and he never intended anyone to actually use this prayer. No, not, not at all. Moreover, uh, if, if we're opposed to any kind of 
formal written prayer, then we've got to, this is not the only part of the Bible we've got a problem with. This is not the only thing we have to explain away. The entire Psalter is a collection of 150 written, pre-composed prayers. The whole Psalter is an instruction manual in the art of prayer. It's a corporate sung prayer book. And this is something we always have to fight against and remember is that hymns and psalms are prayers. They are sung prayers. They are prayers that we pray together. They are prayers that somebody else wrote. And yet we all pray them together at the same time. We follow the same meter. Our voices go up and down with the notes that somebody else wrote. But, but psalms and hymns are prayers. And, and these, the, the Psalter especially is a, is, is a prayer book that God gave to his people to teach them how to pray. This is what I want to hear from you when you approach me in worship. So there's no substance to the argument that God refuses to hear uh, formal prayer, that, that, that God only hears extemporaneous prayers or that only extemporaneous prayers are from the heart. If you can sing, and can it be from the heart and mean it, even though it's somebody else's words, you can pray the Lord's Prayer or Psalm 51 or a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer from the heart. There's, there's, no, there's no disconnect there. If you can pray these things from the heart, um, and you should be able to, they will be useful to you and they'll be in, instructional for you. And one more thing to point out is that all the pronouns in the Lord's Prayer are plural. Notice this. That this is a prayer to be prayed together, corporately. Our Father who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our sins. Do not lead us into temptation. The disciples ask, how do you want us to pray? Teach us to pray. And so Jesus gives his church a model prayer to be prayed together. Could you pray the Lord's Prayer on your, on your own? Yeah, sure. But you understand this is written to be read and prayed together corporately. This is not an individual uh, spiritual discipline uh, only. This is a prayer for the church, for the people of God. Well, the, the prayer is so wonderful and it's, it's so amazing. We could spend uh, seven weeks just taking one line at a time. We could, we could look at this. And uh, a few years ago, we did that on Wednesday night. If you'll remember, we, we uh, broke the Lord's Prayer down and every week we spent uh, just our time on one petition. We don't have to, time to do that this morning. And I do have a goal to get through Luke's gospel. So I only want to touch on each petition briefly and then hear the instruction that follows. But at some point, we probably need to circle back again and, and really do need to spend seven weeks again on the Lord's Prayer, but we won't do that today. So Jesus begins the prayer that he gives his disciples. He says, pray this way, our Father in heaven. This is amazing. This is incredible. This is earth shattering. This is revolutionary. What is Jesus doing? He is inviting us to call his father, our father. Jesus isn't jealous and he isn't selfish with his relationship to his father. His whole purpose in being here is to bring humanity into this same relationship to his father. And so he wants us to call him father and in calling him father, he is putting us in a position of, of his children. Again, children who are in a position of need, who have lacks and wants and who are dependent upon his mercies. We are put in this position right from the beginning of the prayer that, 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 that 
makes all pretension flee before us. That if he is our father, then it means we are his children and we do actually need to be asking for his help. If we don't have his help, we will perish. Our father in heaven, he says, hallowed be your name. This is the first request in the prayer. Um, this is actually a prayer. This is a petition. Hallowed be your name. This, this sets the tone for the whole prayer. This is the priority. No matter what else we ask, here's the first thing and foremost thing that we want. We want God's name to be hallowed, glorified, sanctified, set apart. We want God's name to be put in front of us in such a way that we will not take it lightly. We will not carry his name in vain. But we want your name, Lord, to be sanctified and set apart in us so that we will not blaspheme your name. Names are not just labels. They're not just what we call somebody. Names communicate, especially in the Bible, names communicate something essential about the bearer of the name. The name of God is related to the essence of God. And so if God's name is hallowed, if it's lifted up and honored and respected, then by extension, his law, his holiness, his wisdom, his rule are honored and respected. If we respect his name, we will respect everything about him. So we pray, Lord, Father, hallowed be your name. Father, always cause your name to be honored and praised among us and in the world. Of course, this has been God's work ever since the garden. Ever since the garden, he has been working to reestablish the holiness of his name. And this prayer instructs us to ask for and call for that very thing. Father, make your name holy in all the earth. Your kingdom come, Jesus tells us to pray. We pray to the Father, when we pray your kingdom come, we pray to the Father for his rule, for his king to reign over us, that he would govern us by his word and his spirit, that he would destroy the kingdom of darkness and every power that raises itself up against him. Father, we want your kingdom to come in and be established here on earth. Most world religions, most popular religions, and even today, popular Christianity has this idea that the goal of all of history, the goal of religion, the goal of, of you know, some kind of religious pursuit is to get the person or the spirit from earth to some ascended plane somewhere, to, to get away from earth and to get to somewhere more perfect or holy. The goal of religion is the ascension of the eternal soul from earth to some alternate plane. That's all religions of the world. And sadly, it's kind of the point of popular Christianity today. But that's not what Jesus talks about. He doesn't talk about escaping from here to there. What he talks about in this prayer is a kingdom that descends from heaven and changes the earth. You see, we've got, it, we've got it backwards from the rest of all the other pagan religions and backwards in a very good way. What we're praying for and what we're asking for is not that we be liberated from this, but that heaven comes down and rules over all of this. And that is the goal of history and the goal of the next petition as well. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we want to see and what we pray for is that God's kingdom advances on earth. 
The earth is the realm that the church is to advance in. We want things on earth to run the way that they run in heaven. So what's valued in heaven? We want that to be valued on earth. Who reigns in heaven? We want him to reign on earth. We want the king of heaven to be king of all the earth. In, in heaven, God tells his angels to go and they go. He summons them and they come to his side. That's how we want earth to work. We want him to speak and to send and we go. We want him to summon and we come. We want him to declare and we do. We want him to speak and we listen. We want him to, to receive our prayers and to answer and to deliver. And that's what we're praying for. We're praying for earth to run like heaven, not necessarily for earth to be vaporized. We want earth to be saved. We want earth to be redeemed for earth and heaven to be made one under the same king. That's what this prayer asks for. And then Jesus says for us to pray this as well. He says, give us this day our daily bread. At, at some point, you might have sung the old gospel song, and I sung it a lot growing up, Sweet Hour of Prayer. You know that one, right? Sweet Hour of Prayer. That calls me from this world of care. I always got willies at that one line. You know, it kind of weirded me out. This robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize. That, that robe of flesh language, just even now, it kind of turns my stomach. Isn't that weird to you? I mean, it's, well, I'll just say it's weird to me. And uh, the, it's weird. Thank you, Marion. <laughs> we got the amen pew right up here. You join him right, right along Marion. Thank you. <laughs> well, the, the prayer that Jesus gives us, doesn't call us from the world of care. It's not about dropping robes of flesh and going somewhere else. That's not the prayer that Jesus gives us. The prayer that Jesus gives us grounds itself in this world. This is a prayer that grounds us in the created realm. Jesus tells us to ask for bread. You might think, well, that's not very spiritual. That's not very lofty. That's not very, that's not very high. No, no, it's Honestly, it's not. It's normal. It's ordinary. It's bread. But guess what? You need it. And if you don't have it, you'll die. So you need to ask for it. And also, by the way, you can't get it all on your own. You think, no, I'll go to work. Oh, you'll go to work where? For who? Well, I'll just earn my own money. Money? Where you get money? Where's that come from? Well, I'll just go buy some bread. Okay, where, where are you going to buy bread? You going to make it yourself? All by yourself? You see... We, we recognize in this prayer that our existence is contingent upon the work and the life and the faithfulness of other people. And so we better not be too proud to ask for our bread or think that we're too spiritual to ask for bread. Jesus tells us, ask for your bread, ask for today's bread, because you're going to need to pray this again tomorrow and pray for tomorrow's bread. And on Thursday, you're going to need to pray for Thursday's bread. Don't be too proud to ask for bread. Don't think that this prayer is too important for God, or it's not a, important enough for God, rather. Uh, it is too uh, ordinary for God. Don't think that. This is a prayer that calls on God to meet us where we have needs. The prayer that Jesus gives us is not a prayer that calls on God to take us from our needs, that, that calls me from a world of care. That's not what this prayer does. It's a prayer 
that, that doesn't say, Lord, take my needs away from me. This is a prayer that deals with the daily mundane realities of life and calls on God to powerfully and decisively enter creation and transform it to provide for all the things we need for this life. He, he says, pray this also. He says, pray, forgive us our sins for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgiveness of sins is at the center of Jesus's mission. The release from debts and bondage is at the heart of what he's doing for Israel. And now he incorporates his people into this work. We are the ones, we are the people who recognize our need for forgiveness. And we know that our need is for restoration. And so having been restored, we become agents of forgiveness for the world also. We are liberated from our sins and we share this liberation, this release from bondage with the world. And, what, and this is what this petition is all about. We are liberated then from keeping lists of wrongs and of harboring bitterness and living under the slavery of relationships that are plagued by this tit for tat, uh, quid pro quo, uh, uh, th this petty revenge and perpetual contentiousness. This prayer, forgive us our sins, just like we forgive those who sin against us. This prayer, if prayed in sincerity, frees us from our sins and it liberates us from the sins that others have committed against us. An another way of putting this is, Lord, forgive us and release us from our great sins while we at the same time forgive everyone else for their much smaller sins against us. And Lord, Forgive us just the same way that we forgive. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus follows this prayer up. When he gives the Lord's Prayer, he follows it up by giving some instruction on this one petition. And he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, this prayer becomes a curse to us if we just mouth the words and don't intend to forgive anyone. And here's the real horror of this, and I hope you're catching this. The horror of this is that some of us do that very thing every Lord's Day when we pray. We pray, Father, forgive us our sins just as we forgive the sins of everybody else, and we do not intend to forgive anybody else's sins. We haven't practiced forgiveness. We don't extend mercy or forgiveness. And we have the boldness to enter God's throne room and say, Lord, forgive us our sins just like we forgive everybody else's sins. We don't forgive anybody's sins. Forgive us just the same way we forgive and we don't do it. Every single Lord's Day, we sing the Lord's Prayer together and we ask God in that sung prayer, forgive us our debts just as we forgive our debtors and we do a couple things. First of all, when we say that without sincerity, first of all, we're blaspheming God because we don't mean what we're saying. We're not hallowing his name. We are carrying it in vain and we are praying in vain. That's the first thing you do. If you pray this prayer, Lord, forgive me just like I forgive everybody else and you refuse to forgive, you are blaspheming the name of God in praying this prayer in a, in a less than sincere way. You, you, are, you are blaspheming his name. Secondly, you're lying. You are lying 
to the face of God because you aren't forgiving your enemies. We ask God for forgiveness for our despicable, treasonous, hateful sins against his holiness. Sins that each deserve eternal damnation. And, and we have the temerity, we, we have this arrogance to walk into his presence asking his forgiveness for these great sins while we keep our own laundry lists of offenses and we hang these over the heads of other people and we refuse to let go of them. We refuse to be placated. We refuse to make peace. We refuse to live at peace. We like to keep our pet hurts, our pet offenses, and we do not forgive those who sin against us. So we're lying. We're lying to the face of God. And thirdly, and this is the scariest part, we're calling cursing down on our own heads because what we're saying is, forgive us just the same way we forgive everybody else, God. How do we forgive everybody else? We don't. We pout, we throw hissy fits, we don't forgive. So God, you treat us like that. That's, that's how we want to be treated when we come to you and ask for forgiveness. We don't fear the Lord. We don't take this seriously. We pray this way in vain. We lie when we say, forgive us, just like we're forgiving everybody else. We're lying because we're not forgiving everybody else. We're blaspheming his name. We're calling his cursing down on our heads. We don't fear him. And we pray this way, and then we wonder why our other prayers aren't getting answered. Why are we struggling in so many other areas? Why are, why are we hurting? Why, why can't we get out of our own way? Why can't, why can't we fix what's wrong? Why, why aren't we finding solutions to our problems? It's because we waltz into God's presence and we pray this prayer and we don't mean it. Just don't mean it. It doesn't mean anything to us. We just mouth it. Forgive those who have sinned against you. Brothers and sisters, release the debts of people who have sinned against you. Let go of your bitterness. Let go of your anger that you're harboring against other people. So somebody sinned against you. What are you going to do? You take that to your grave? Are you just going to keep, keep nursing that in your heart for the rest of your life? Keep letting that stab you? You just kind of nurse this little cancer? Are you going to cut it out? And I do mean cut it out. Stop it. Repent of your lack of forgiveness so that you can pray this in sincerity. So that you can say, Lord, really, I do want you to forgive me like I've forgiven everybody else. Because when it comes to everybody else's sins against me, I've let it go. I have let it go. Uh, Lord, I still need your Holy Spirit to help me let it go tomorrow. I've let it go today. Uh, help me let it go tomorrow too. And pray this in sincerity. The last petition is, do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Saying in, in praying this, we admit, Lord, we're so weak. We can't even stand up our own against temptation. We can't stand up on our own against the tempter. So we pray, Lord, strengthen us. Give us the victory. Don't let us go down in defeat. Help us to resist our enemies. There's so much more to say about each one of these petitions, but with our last few minutes, I do want to hit what Jesus says right after this. It's so, so critical that we hear this. So picking up in verse 5, after he gives them this prayer, he says to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go into him in midnight and say to him, Friend, 
lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Jesus tells a story and the scene there is of a hungry traveler. He gets into town late at night, past the time that supper has been cleared. Everything's been put away. Everybody's in bed. The host of the traveler doesn't have anything to feed his guest. And so he goes out and he knocks on his neighbor's door. His neighbor's asleep, everyone's in bed, the lights are out, the children are in bed with him, but the host is desperate to feed his guest. And so he keeps knocking on his door and he is persistent. And when he wakes him up, he says, do you have any food? Do you have any food that I can share with my guest? I'm desperate. So Jesus asked this question, if your friend comes to your door late at night and beats on your door and asks you for food, are you going to say, leave me alone, the door is shut, the kids are in bed, if I get up, I'm going to wake up the whole house, go away, leave me alone, I can't help you. Is that what you're going to say? This is Jesus' question. In this situation, will you say that? Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine saying that? And of course, the answer to that question is supposed to be, no, I can't imagine doing that. Now, some of us are imagining, yeah, I kind of think I would. Depends on who's asking, but I kind of say, you know, leave me alone, go away. Should have planned better. But the point is, if we follow Jesus' story and his reasoning, no, honestly, if it's your friend who's asking for food at two o'clock in the morning, you're already up. You're going you're to help him. And Jesus adds a little point. He, the, the sleeping man might not even get up out of bed motiv motivated by friendship, but because of the persistence of the one knocking, he will be motivated to help. He will respond to the persistence. The point of this parable is not that God is like a sleeping neighbor who's reluctant to help who doesn't want to get up and get, be bothered. That's, that's, not, that's not the parallel here, that God is inconvenienced by our asking. The point is that if a reluctant sleeping neighbor will respond to the persistent petitions of his friend, how much more will your heavenly father, who is always alert, he is always ready to answer your cry for help, how much more will he respond? The one point of comparison between us and the story is the persistence of the petitioner. And Jesus uses that word for his persistence, his friend will answer. Jesus is encouraging his disciples to have this kind of boldness, this kind of shamelessness, the, the kind of shamelessness a child has when a child asks for help and how a child keeps asking for help until they get it. You've been on the highway with a child who needs to use the restroom and you just passed the rest stop and the next rest stop isn't for 20 miles and you hear it for the next 20 miles. I gotta go, I gotta go, dad, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. They're persistent, they're not gonna let up. They're gonna keep asking. Once is not enough and children don't have a hang up about asking over and over and over. And Jesus is encouraging his people to keep asking, to keep insisting not to give up. That's what our prayer should be like. He loves our persistence. He gives another example in verse nine. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? When your children ask you for things that they need, you don't play tricks on them. You don't give them things that would hurt them when they ask for food. Only an obnoxious father would do that. Only a hateful father would do that. You give them at least what they need and often you go further and give them, give them even better things than what they ask for. And Jesus says, you know what? You do that and you're sinful. You do not love with a perfect love. And you still know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to his children? He is entirely good. He's entirely and completely undeniably holy in all of his motivations. He is pure in love. How will he not be as least as good to his children as you are to your children? And so we can ask him boldly, knowing that he will answer. God is not keeping all kinds of good things from us, keeping them out of our reach, teasing us, and then, and then keeping us at arm's length. That's the lie that the serpent got Eve to believe, isn't it? God is selfish, the serpent uh, implied. God, God, is, God doesn't want to share. He doesn't want you to have the really good stuff. But that wasn't the truth at all. One look around the garden for Eve would have proved that to be false. He is the God who daily loads us with benefits. And, and even if we only had the clothes on our back and the food on the plate in front of us, if that's all we had, that would still be more than we deserve. Now, you've no doubt heard this passage read many times, and I'm sure that you feel like, well, I've got it down mentally, intellectually, I understand. But I have to be honest, this really isn't consistent with my experience because I know some of you have got to be thinking in the back of your mind, you know what? I've asked God for bread. And I'm pretty sure he gave me a stone. I've asked God for an egg. I think he gave me a scorpion. I think he did that. I've asked God for a fish and he gave me a serpent because I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've been persistent and I've asked for a specific deliverance. I've, I've asked God as a child with a childlike faith, I've asked him to change this thing that I am powerless to change. I've asked God for healing. I've asked God for this opportunity. I've asked God to heal this relationship. I've had other people pray with me and for me. I've begged God and I've pleaded with God to answer. And since I've been praying, it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse. Since I've been praying, it hasn't gotten better. That's how I feel. Now, if that's what you're thinking, I get it. I know exactly what you're talking about. But this is where we cannot allow our own experience to trump God's word. Your experience is not more sound or more real than God's word. And specifically here, more real than the words of the Savior. What does Jesus promise here? Jesus says, everyone who asks receives. No exception. 
He, he, he doesn't make any qualifications here. He says, everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks will have the door opened. Do you believe that or not? Now, this is my question to you. Do you believe Jesus or not? Do you believe your experience or do you believe what Jesus just said right here? Everyone who asks receives. Do you believe that? Jesus also says, when you ask the father for bread, he does not give you a stone. He does not give you a stone when you ask for bread. He will never do that. He doesn't do it. God does not answer the prayers of his people with evil and obnoxiousness and malevolence. He always gives good things to his children. He always gives them at least what they ask for, if not something far better. Now you say, okay, I, I hear you, but that's still not what I'm experiencing right now. Well, you need to remember Jesus in the garden. He asked and he prayed earnestly. He said, Lord, deliver me from this. Father, let this cup pass from me. If it be your will, Father, find some other way. He prayed for deliverance. Jesus, his own son, prayed for deliverance and God gave him the cross. Which was the better thing? Which was the better thing for Jesus? Which was the better thing for the world? Some temporary, momentary, fleeting ease and comfort? Or the cross? I think we know the answer. <laughs> Obviously, the cross was better. Obviously, the cross was more glorious. So when we pray for a thing to happen, for some great deliverance or some great blessing, we get that thing often. I think, you know, if you would write down the prayers that you pray and the answers that God gives you on a daily basis, that would strengthen your faith. The things that we have prayed for as a congregation, the way that God has answered those things are unbelievable. It's staggering God's faithfulness to his people. And the way that I've seen God work out deliverances and answer your prayers in your life, it is unbelievable. But sometimes he chooses not to give us the thing that we ask for because he has something better for us. He gives us something that we would never have asked for on our own. Sometimes he says, I know you prayed for this, but I've got something better. Yeah, I've got one of these. Here. This is, this is what I want for you. This is yours now. Sometimes he says, I know you wanted deliverance, but I'm going to give you the cross because honestly, this is what you need more than anything right now. It's what you need. I'm going to put you through tribulation. And through this tribulation, I'm going to burn away the dross. I'm going to burn away the sin. I'm going to, I'm going to put your sin to death. I'm going to strengthen your confidence in me. And that's far better than what you're asking for. Honestly, because God can see the beginning from the end. He knows, you know what, that's, that's what you need right now. When we ask for relief and he gives us more suffering, that's not us asking for an egg and him giving us a scorpion. That's not us asking for bread and him giving us a stone. That's us asking for some small, present, temporary comfort and instead him giving us an eternal weight of glory, just as he gave Jesus on the cross, which is far, 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 far better. 
So Jesus' disciples ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And, and here's what Jesus says. You know, pray our Father. Don't, don't pretend to be self-sufficient. Be like children before your Father in heaven and ask him for what you need. Don't be shy. Don't be distant. Don't be aloof. But like children, be persistent. And just like you fathers know how to give your children good gifts, so your Father in heaven, he knows. He doesn't need to be lectured on this. He knows how to give good gifts to his children. And he will never, ever, 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 ever come up short in his blessing. So don't be too proud to ask. This instruction here is our call to pray. God has ordered things in his world in such a way that he moves to respond to the prayers of his people. If we aren't asking, and if we are asking persistently, we must not want it very bad. If we're not praying together corporately for him to change the world and protect our families and cause our people to thrive and be holy and to establish the work of our hands, if we're not praying for him to be known through us to this community and to use us in the establishment of his kingdom, if we're not praying for all those things and many more, it just means we don't care. It just means that we let this stuff go in one ear and out the other. This words of the Savior, yeah, I get it, whatever. I got better things to do, man. I got, I'm busy. You don't know how busy I am. I'm too busy to pray like this. I got it all figured out. How arrogant. His work is going to continue, but he's really not going to use or bless apathetic people who can't be bothered to pray. And so, people of God, join me in following the words of the Savior and pray. And pray persistently and pray putting your trust in God who gives his children good things, sometimes, many times, even better than the thing that they prayed for, even when that better thing comes in the shape of a cross. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for this instruction and we pray that you would humble us before his words. Father, cause them to continue to penetrate our hearts as we meditate on these things this week. And Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you, you said through your Son here that you would give us your Holy Spirit. And so we pray for that very thing. Bless us and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would be stirred up to talk to you and pray for the things that we need and pray for them persistently. Crush our arrogance, crush our pride, destroy every part of us that resists your work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.